Welcome back to the 167th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including how the continuing resolution may have changed the Republican Party forever. Ooh, scary. How Matt Gates is probably going to get thrown out if his ethics committee hearing doesn't go his way, and how the CR, the continuing resolution, actually benefits Moscow over Main Street. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So how do we get our house in order? No, I'm not talking about your physical house, obviously. I'm talking about the people's house up there in Washington, D.C. You know, the house is a total bleep show currently. And, you know, how do we get back to serious business? How do we get past all of these, you know, inner battles between the Republican side or these little quibbles or people, you know, pulling fire alarms? Like, I'm not saying that when Jamal Bowman, Jamal Bowman, excuse me, pulled the fire alarm, he was doing it on purpose. But why does it have to be a total news cycle story? Come on. We need to get past all these stupid squabbles. And the only reason we do this is because there's no more relevant, important news. There's nothing actually happening. So we have to resort to these little gossip and drama stories in order to get by. So let's jump to our first article, which happens to be one of those, you know, drama stories. It comes from National Review. Why the last continuing resolution changed more than you think. So the continuing resolution paid, that was put through late, late on Saturday night in order to keep the government from failing for another month and a half. And by government failing, I mean the government shutting down. Yes, for the, all of those that you want a little bit more minute detail. So people who are you know criticizing from the right are saying, oh, well, they didn't go far enough. You know, they should have, or Matt Gates. let's put it that way. Oh, they shouldn't do a continuing resolution. They should actually break it up into smaller bills so then people can directly vote on one thing or another. I would say that he's going to use it as a litmus test. Okay, so how do you care about this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue, not when it's a giant package, and you can argue, well, I care about these things a lot, and I guess I have to swallow the pill for this other thing that I don't agree with. No, he's saying break it up so then we can see where everybody stands on every specific issue. And then the mainstream Republicans are like, well, okay, first off, that's going to be cumbersome. It's going to be long. We might not be able to get some of the proposals that we want through because of it, because Democrats aren't willing to swallow certain pills. But also, there's probably a few people in the back room like, no, 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 Matt, come on. We need a little bit of cover in order to get what we want passed, or we need a little bit of cover to, you know, rhetorically so we can get up things passed that people may not be okay with. You know, great example being little bit more Ukrainian spending. Oh, well, that's just a part of the bill. I understand that we need to have some more strict policies about where the money is going in Ukraine, but this military-based funding in my district, uh, it's really important to me, so we're going to put this through. And if you have to pass those things separately and you can't actually hide behind the fact that you want to get this certain funding to a certain location and then you actually have to vote directly on whether Ukraine gets the money or not, you're exposing yourself to your voters and to the people of the United States. So that's what Matt Goetz is kind of proposing. But, you know, I'm going to save him for the, the second article because that's where we really go into it. So how has this CR, this continuing resolution, been misunderstood? You know, because the argument that the author's making in the headline is that it's changed more than you think. 
quote, the continuing resolution signed into law Saturday to keep the government funded for another month and a half is significantly less for its substance than for what its enactment says about some key power dynamics in Congress. The bill itself is largely awash. It doesn't change much about how our government does or how much it spends, and neither party won much or lost much through its passage. Congress just bought itself a little more time, but the way it happened was extremely consequential, and it tells us at least three important things. And to be honest, I don't care about the the second one or not necessarily all of the third one, and we are kind of skipping around here, but let's jump to the first point that the author tries to make here. Quote, first, it signals a new phase of the McCarthy speakership. Until Saturday, Kevin McCarthy had managed to mostly keep his conference's various factions together by avoiding any real governing choices. This, is, this was done by advancing symbolic legislation that did not have much of a chance in the Senate and by getting one must-pass legislative package, increasing the debt ceiling, enacted by promising to do impossible things later. It was also going to be a very difficult to sustain that approach in the appropriations process because the objections of a small but significant group of House Freedom Caucus members in a position that revealed that they had no intention of ever voting for spending bills that could also pass the Senate. This goal that McCarthy had was always to make it clear that the rest of the conference that there is no way forward except together or a legislative vehicle that could get some Democratic votes. But it was not all that clear that he could do this without first going through the government's shutdown. On Saturday, McCarthy evidently decided to just skip the shutdown, since it would be less useless and pointless at best, and put a bill on the floor that would easily get the support of a majority of the House, but a bipartisan majority and not a purely Republican one, end quote. So this is where the, the change is happening. As they mentioned, they have been mainly on party lines when getting things passed. They've really tried to get the Freedom Caucus in order or at least try to appease them in certain situations. But then that makes it really hard when it goes to the Senate, so it's not going to get passed. So now McCarthy said, okay, screw it. You know, Freedom Caucus, I've tried to play nice. I have tried to work with you, but you are just hamstringing me too much now. We need this to get through, so I'm going to go to my partners in the Democratic Party. And when I say partners, I'm not saying direct partners. I'm not accusing McCarthy of having goody-goody two-shoe friends over there, but the people who were elected to, you know, make sure the government keeps functioning, he's going to go to them and he's going to say, hey, let's make a practical deal. And at the end of the day, if we make the Freedom Caucus a little bit angry, they're just going to have to get over it. And now the bill can also get through the Senate. And this is, you know, there's something extremely frustrating from a political strategy point of view from what the Freedom Caucus is doing, because yes, they are getting more attention for themselves. Yes, they are pressuring for less spending. But guess what? If you make a really conservative package that isn't quite as conservative as you want, but conservative enough that every single Republican in that Congress will vote for it, and let's be clear, yes, I am aware of the irony because it's not conservative enough for Gates, but if he can put that aside for a minute and say, okay, we are not going to get everything we want, but we can still make a bill that's conservative enough that every single buddy, every single person in the House Republican caucus, the committee, that it will get through all of them, and then we can send it to the Senate, and guess what? The Senate's controlled by Democrats. They're probably not going to pass it. Then guess what? 
you can blame the shutdown on the Democrats in the Senate who will not pass that legislation. Of course, they'll come back and say, oh, well, the House gave us a bill that we couldn't pass anyway, but they were the ones that chose not to pass it. They are the ones that are going to be blamed for the government shutdown. And yes, I know that's cynical. And yes, I know that we shouldn't be encouraging a shutdown in any way, shape, or form. But it's just the political... I don't understand when Gates and the Freedom Caucus are pushing back against this. I, I get that they're trying to do this on principle, and that is fair enough, good to you. But don't be mad when then McCarthy has to turn to the Democrats and you have no political leverage in the media anymore, or at least when it comes to putting the government shutdown and increasing spending on the Democrats. Well, you can't say that anymore because guess what? McCarthy now had to go and make a deal with them, which means spending is probably going to increase. So not only did you not get what you want, but you can't even spin a narrative properly in order to talk to the voters and try to get them to change their mind in the upcoming elections. So I'm not saying Matt Gates isn't politically savvy, because obviously he is. Obviously the Freedom Caucus is getting what they want, which is more attention to get McCarthy out of the way, to possibly get someone who's a little bit more conservative in essence, in principle, in the office. But it, it seems as though they're picking the wrong battles, in my opinion. But, you know, maybe they have some insider information that I don't. So... Where else does this change? Because they listed, or the author said there are three things that this has kind of changed. And I said I'm going to skip the second one because I don't think it's as important. But the third one is the Ukraine issue. And I do think this is a very important one because we can actually, you know, see a reframing of the narrative here and possibly a change in policy in the future rather than just limitless spending for Ukraine and constantly passing more amendments to different bills in order to ensure that they get the aid to fight off Russia. Quote, Saturday's extraordinary turn of events puts Ukraine funding at the heart of the continuing struggle over appropriations. Democrats in both houses suggested that they voted for the CR on the premise that the debate was over about Ukraine funding and that it would not continue and that it may return to center stage even before the broader question of funding the government does. That may well happen. And there is every reason to think that some funding for more aid will ultimately be provided, since majorities of both houses and the president would be likely or would like to see that happen. But large numbers of Republicans in both houses have now made it clear that they do not prioritize that funding and do not consider it essential. End quote. So this is the the other thing that people are getting hung up on. And when we have a redefinition, when we have a chance to spin here as a country to actually start evaluating where the money goes that we give to Ukraine in order to put a little bit more strings on it, maybe even to lower the amount of money that we send to Ukraine, this is an opportunity that people are taking in the House, including Kevin McCarthy, and that's why I think it's really important. Because if it was just the Freedom Caucus pushing for this or just a few members on the Republican side pushing for this to not address the Ukraine issue, to let the funding go down, or to say at the end of the day, hey, we got to be more responsible with it. If it was just them, that's different. But McCarthy intentionally did not put this in the bill. And I think it may be political in that he understands the Democrats are much more in favor of it. Their constituency are much more in favor of supplying aid to Ukraine. So he understands that it could be a bargaining chip. But if you want to look beyond that, and maybe it is a principled stance 
maybe the Republican Party overall is willing to really start hammering on the, down on this issue and actually you know, draw a line in the sand and say, no, we have to bring the Ukraine spending down. It can't continue at its current levels. I think that's really interesting that this was excluded from the continuing resolution, and I'll be very curious as to where this goes. You know, the cynical part of me says that McCarthy's going to use it as a bargaining chip because it is a very powerful one. But the more idealistic, hopeful version of me is saying, okay, maybe this is a time where we actually start addressing some of these. We actually start asking the hard questions about how much we actually need to send to Ukraine. And let's be clear, I'm not saying we haven't asked the hard questions before, but when you have the House Majority Leader specifically leaving it out of a deal that is meant to reaffirm how the government is spending its money for the next month and a half, when you don't address it specifically, you're leaving it off the table for a very specific reason. It's either principled, it's either a bargaining chip, there are probably a few other options, but like I said, it'll be interesting to see where this one goes. So I've already talked about Matt Gates a lot, and the irony is I just read an article today which is uh, how Matt Gates wants to get attention from all this, and well, guess what? He's getting attention from all this, and I'm talking about him too. Not that my talking about him will have any change whatsoever, but it is interesting the way he goes about politics in order to gain a certain following, in order to be loud and brash, in order to uh, appeal to a certain segment of the population, and then people complain that he's doing it, and then they feed into the narrative by covering exactly what he is doing. But that's because he's being a thorn in the side. But there is a thorn in his side that may come back to bite his butt really here soon. And this article comes from The Daily Wire. Some House Republicans seek to expel Matt Gates, depending on the ruling from the Ethics Committee. So... What's the Matt Gates problem? Not what is Matt Gates's problem, but what is the Matt Gates problem? Quote, some House Republican members are reportedly preparing to file a motion to expel Rep. Matt Gates, Republican of Florida, from Congress pending a forthcoming report from the House Ethics Committee about his alleged behavior. The news comes as Gates prepares to file a motion to oust Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, this week in what many top Republicans say is a personal vendetta against McCarthy because of the Ethics Committee investigation, which was launched during the last Congress when Rep. Nancy Pelosi was Speaker. CNN reported over the summer that investigators are currently, quote, focused on allegations that may have included sexual misconduct, illicit drug use, or other misconduct, end quote. So basically, Gates is under the gun here. You know, he would probably argue that it was brought forward by his political opponent, which is Nancy Pelosi, in order to get him to shut up, in order to you know hamstring him a little bit. And he would probably argue, well, McCarthy should have gotten rid of it. It's totally baseless. So he should have completely gotten rid of that ethics committee inquiry in order to clear Gates's name. And then McCarthy probably was doing a little po- political calculation, which is this is a really powerful bargaining chip, so maybe I shouldn't. And also, even if I did want to get rid of it, It may be useful because Gates, from the very beginning, opposed McCarthy, and maybe there would be a good reason to get him out if this ethics committee came out his way. But once again, that is me being cynical rather than being, you know, idealistic. Maybe Mr. McCarthy really does see that this committee, this ethics committee investigation is actually going somewhere, that there's actually something that Matt Gates did wrong and that he can't stand for that in his party. 
maybe that's possible. You know, I don't want to give you know, McCarthy Machiavellian style intentions. So, but we can see why Matt Gates is a little bit angry, why he's frustrated. And if I had a person who I was backing, or even I could argue, maybe they are friends behind the scenes. I doubted it at this point, but maybe at one point they were friends. And if I had a friend who said, hey, man, when I, you know, when I get that new job as manager, you know that BS claim that uh, you stole something? And I watched the footage. I knew you didn't. I'm going to get them to drop it. And then your friend gets promoted to manager, but then that investigation keeps going. Then, of course, you're going to be frustrated. Of course, you're going to hold a little bit of a personal vendetta, especially when you see it as a way that could get you ousted. And since you didn't necessarily want your friend to become the manager, since you were kind of vying for the job yourself, you're kind of proposing somebody else, and he knew that, maybe him using it as a chip to kind of punish you for not necessarily backing him, then you, I could see how you'd be a little bit angry about that. You know, the, this internal politics, I'm moving past the anal analogy now, this internal politics game where, hey, favor for favor, well, Matt Gates got him into power so he figures hey i got you there you know i had to pull some concessions from you but i still voted for you so could you get rid of this and mccarthy's like yeah no you pulled a lot of concessions from me so that was actually our trade to get me into speaker and now you're going to owe me big for this committee hearing dismissal which once again you know this is just my machinations this is me being cynical don't know if any of it's true have no insider information i don't know how i would anyway but that's what i'm thinking in this case so there are people who are coming to Matt's, or sorry, Representative Gates's defense. Quote, one lawmaker who came out and defended Gates was Rep. Anna Paulina Luna, who posted on X that this was, uh, quote, unethical to threaten to expel a member for following and using House rules that the entire conference agreed to, end quote. Gates took significant heat last week for handling handing leverage to Democrat lawmakers by sabotaging a short-term funding bill that would have kept the U.S. government open and included a, quote, spending reduction, money for border security, and a commission on the growing federal debt, end quote, the Wall Street Journal editorial board noted. Instead, Republicans did not get any of that because Gates and several other Republicans rejected it. And then the Republicans were forced to cut a deal with the Democrats to keep the government open, end quote. Now, that actually does bring up a very interesting point here, which is there have been other, you know, members of the Freedom Caucus that have also pushed back against these spending bills that have not backed McCarthy in some of these uh, attempts to get the CR moving. And then all the hate, all of the ire that has been born on the right is going towards Matt Gates, And there's two parts to this. One, because he's the loudest, he's actually calling for McCarthy to step down and he's going to bring some articles to get him removed as speaker. But also, I think that the reason that Gates, Gates is at the front of this for the people like Daily Wire, who are definitely sitting there a little bit more supportive of McCarthy, a little bit more on board with what he's doing and 
willing to sacrifice the wants of a small part of the Republican Party for the majority of the Republican Party. You know, they're really big-minded Republican focus, not necessarily small-minded. Is the reason they're focusing in on Gates is because he does have this ethics committee uh, thing going on, and people are trying to eject him. So they're actually trying to put a little bit of extra pressure and change the popular narrative that he does need to be ejected because he's actually holding up Republican processes, and there's this ethics committee hearing. Once again, that is me being very, very cynical. But there are other people who are mainstream Republicans who are directly calling for him to be expelled because of this ethics committee uh, investigation if he is found guilty. And, you know, sometimes in the past you would probably see an argument from certain Republicans that, oh, well, hey, no, this is a a political attack. We need to defend our own. But no, even some old-style Republicans are saying, get him out of there. Then again, that person is Newt Gingrich, and he is more whole party over individual Republicans, so he may have been okay with that back in his day as well. But here's what Newt had to say. Quote, former House Speaker Newt Gingrich posted on X, is Gates secretly an agent for the Democratic Party? Before I keep reading, that that's a pretty bold claim. I mean, I think he's being a little bit cutesy there, but still, I, that's a pretty bold statement or question. Quote, no one else is doing so much to undermine, weaken, and cripple the House GOP. End quote. Conservative media personality Mark Levin said Gates and others sabotage the conservative spending bill. They rant and they rave about a plan and without a real objective. And now we get this 45-day CR, Levin said. They did this. And predictably, they desperately blame everybody else. End quote. So you can see the fire is being trained on them. At this point, people would argue that the Republican Party needs to be united in order to get anything done. And then you have people who are totally against the agenda. They are pushing back. And then the Republicans had to go running to the Democrats in order to get something passed. And honestly, I, you know, high marks to the Democrats because they could have put McCarthy in a very sticky situation. If they really didn't mind the government shutdown, which would politically hurt them, but if they didn't mind the government shutdown, they could have very well forced McCarthy to have to deal with Gates, and they could have increased the political pressure on him. But no, the Democrats came to the table, they did their job, and they tried to get this continuing resolution passed. Even if you don't agree with everything that goes in it, you have to respect from either side that they were willing to sit down and have a bipartisan discussion about where the government goes from here. Now, it's only a 45-day CR, so we're going to be in this exact same situation in a month and a half. And honestly, I feel like we love these sort of conversations. We were talking about the debt ceiling not that long ago. Now we're talking about a continuing resolution to fund the government and a government shutdown. We always seem to have these. It gins up a lot of media coverage. So I honestly think the media likes when these short things happen because they know in a month and a half they'll have another two or three day cycle, if not a whole week, about, oh, the government's going to shut down. Oh, what's the political game? Now it does give politicians a chance to really define themselves, to maybe get some good news coverage or some bad news coverage, depending on who you are. So maybe that's why we find them more uh, frequent. But once again, I don't know why I'm in such a cynical mood, but I am. I'm in a pretty cynical mood today, if you cannot tell. All right, so let's move to our last article, which comes from someone who's even more cynical than me. And that is hard to do, especially today. And this one comes from the Daily Beast. All that drama in the House GOP's only win was for the Kremlin. So this goes back to the point where I was saying that they're focused more on you know, helping Moscow than Main Street. That's where this argument is coming from, the point of view from this author. 
And I, I felt bad bearing it at the end here because it's an interesting one. But also at the same time, I feel like it is a whole bunch of talking points that have been treaded over a million times. And it's not necessarily a new argument, but we should at least give it its time in the sun, give it its time of day. So how is this new CR? How is this drama, this battle? How is it pro-Kremlin? Quote, had the great Maya Angelou been alive to witness Saturday's climax of a omnishambolic dog's breakfast of a misbegotten legislative process that took place in the U.S. House of Representatives. Surely, she would have said, when a political party tells you over and over again that they have no higher priority than serving Vladimir Putin, believe them. Uh, End quote from Maya Angelou. Uh, But hey, it's a kind of, I don't want to say hyperbolic, it's a bold statement, to say the least, but let's see what the author's argument is. Quote, then again, it didn't take a genius or the genius of Miss Angelou to get the message. At the critical moment at which they had one chance to avert a government shutdowns, when Republicans in the House were forced to abandon all of their legislative priorities, but one, the one they chose to ditch was the vital U.S. aid to Ukraine. In so doing, they sent the world an unmistakable signal once again that the first and guiding loyalty of Donald Trump's GOP is that it has always been to the Kremlin, end quote. So I, I find this disingenuous trying to connect the GOP to Trump and then Trump to the Kremlin, inherently saying that Trump is for the Kremlin. And also just because you want to have a more in-depth discussion without just randomly passing a certain amount of funding for Ukraine, I find both of those disingenuous arguments that they are just directly supporting the Kremlin just because you put a limit on something that benefits one party more than the other doesn't mean that you necessarily want to help that other party. It just means that you're putting a limit on something. And to make the argument, because they're inherently making the argument here, if you take it to its logical conclusion, that if you don't fund Ukraine, you are supporting Russia, that is absolutely insane. So Switzerland bought lots of products from both Italy and from Germany during the war, but they also bought products from France and Britain. Guess what? Just because they bought products from Germany and Italy didn't mean that they were anti-Britain and France. And just because they bought products from France and Britain doesn't mean they were uh, anti-Italy and Germany. Uh, They were just neutral. So that's a possibility. Don't give any funding to Ukraine and then don't take a side with it or even start, you know, easing sanctions on Russia. Then you could say they're actually for the Kremlin. But this logical, you know, battle that they're trying to play where, Uh, Well, no, no, if you don't support Ukraine, then you're supporting the Kremlin. It's inherently the case that you have to put all of the resources, you have to keep the funding going to Ukraine, otherwise you're doing something that benefits Putin. Therefore, you are actually supporting Putin. No, that doesn't have to be the case. You can be against Putin, but also against the Ukraine. Two things can be true at once, just because one directly affects how the other person interacts in the situation. And in this case, I'm saying just because you limit Ukrainian funding, meaning Putin will get an advantage, that doesn't mean you're pro-Putin. You don't have to make a declarative statement with everything that you hate. So if I absolutely hate uh, or I don't want Nike to succeed, 
Does that mean that I have to buy their direct competitor? Does that mean I have to give funding to their direct competitor, Adidas or New Balance? Well, why don't I just change the game? Why don't I go no shoes? And I know that seems like a really stupid analogy, but what I'm saying is there's no move forward that has to be prescribed in order to say I am for one side or for the other. There are multiple ways to do it. You could be totally against Ukrainian spending, but also be totally for sanctioning the Russian government and limiting the amount of money that the oligarchs have access to. So this is a stupid argument from the very beginning. And I'm sorry I'm getting so heated because I didn't, at the, when I first put this article in, I understood what they were saying, but I didn't necessarily hone in on this logical trick that they were trying to use. And I... I just honed in on it while I was reading it and really, really got underneath my skin very quickly. I am sorry. So once again, there is a interesting part here where the author talks about this is basically appeasement 2.0. And, you know, uh, I don't necessarily disagree or agree. I think the situation is totally different. So I think it's an interesting framing nonetheless. But I did want to bring it out because I... I thought it was at least an important important part to talk about and an interesting angle that people from this point of view at the Daily Beast are taking. Quote, Just as Hitler saw Chamberlain's weakness as the opening he was looking for, surely Vladimir Putin saw the GOP message for what it was, encouragement for his aggression and his war crimes from the party of Trump, a clear signal that all he would have to do was wait until the next election cycle, and if they won, a GOP-led U.S. would abandon Ukraine, our allies in Europe, and reward Putin's brutality by extending his reach ever more deeply into the heart of Europe. Democrats and a handful of more moderate Republicans promised in the wake of the deal that they would seek and expected to get a new supplemental bill that would ensure Ukraine aid continued to be funded. End quote. And, you know... Honestly, I think, uh, let's be clear, I think appeasement was trash. I have for a long time said appeasement was trash. But also, I read a book recently that did you know, Chamberlain a little bit more of a service, which was he genuinely believed appeasement was going to work. But also, there has been some reflection recently that suggests, and some of the quotes that he was you know, sending, or some of the quotes that are extracted from some of his meetings with his ministers, is that, okay, yes, we're going to offer Hitler appeasement with one hand, but we're also going to build up our military strength on the other. So it's not as though he was simply saying appeasement and we do nothing. He was offering one thing with one hand, and on the other side, he was saying, okay, we got to build up our own reserves because I, you know, I don't actually trust Hitler that much, but we need a little bit more time in order to get militarily ready. So to compare these two things, to compare a situation with a fascist leader versus the oligarch that is Vladimir Putin, and to suggest that any version of weakness such as Chamberlain is appeasement, I think is a little bit simplistic because it comes to a point of view where you have to be the strongman the entire time. You cannot show any weakness whatsoever. You have to just, they're basically saying, you have to fall in line and give all the Ukrainians all the money that they want, or that is perceived as weakness. But 
wouldn't another argument for being perceived as weak is just giving Ukrainians whatever they want rather than holding them responsible and trying to rein in some of the spending? You know, I think that could be argued as a weak position where you just roll over to whatever Ukraine wants. I mean, I understand where they're trying to come from, which is uh, it's weakness in the idea that they're not trying to protect democracy. But there are multiple points of view of weakness. So there and I'm not trying to make a, a subjective argument. What I'm trying to say is it is not as black and white as they want to perceive it as. They are trying to make a subjective claim, just like I did a second ago, that this is the only way to not be perceived as weak. They are claiming that this is what weakness is and we cannot be perceived that way. Rather than making an objective claim, which would be that it's good or bad to fund Ukraine and then working from there. Because... uh, if they said that it's a good thing to fund Ukraine because we want to wither down Vladimir Putin's army or we want to you know, use uh, Ukrainian troops as a way to wither them down rather than American troops or NATO troops having to be sent on the ground, you could have a more clear argument about that. But when you make this weakness argument, it gets muddled in subjectiveness and it doesn't actually get anywhere and it's just trying to demagogue and trying to play to their side. That's just my opinion on that one. So let's get past all this sad stuff. Let's jump into the daily debate that comes from Woo Globe. Adorable dog runs and hugs her human granddad on his birthday. So children, grandchildren, they can really be the delight of grandparents. And that can even be the case when they're not so human. Quote, in this heartwarming video, an adorable dog shows her love and affection to her human granddad on his birthday. As he celebrates his special day, the dog cannot contain her excitement and runs towards him, giving him a heartwarming and affectionate hug. And honestly, who doesn't love a good birthday hug? Quote, this wholesome and touching moment between the dog and her human granddad reminds us of the pure and unconditional love that our furry friends can bring into our lives, especially during our most special moments. And if you want to see any of the cute photos or videos from this one, or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the links to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, as well as Podvine, and the Twitter handle, at your daily flip, where I post Twitter tirades every Tuesday and Thursday. A little bit more short-term content or short-form content, a little bit less scripted, less articles, just kind of off the head off the top of the head kind of stuff. But with my rant towards the end of this one, maybe you don't want more of that information. Who knows? But love to see you over there. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.